here because for me spring is always like about second chances and new beginnings and what died in the winter comes back to life again in the spring. But I want to share just a little, a little bit of a testimony with you. Alone. Last week we spoke about church and, and moving forward in church and moving to Fiscombe. But I want to just maybe share a little bit of my personal journey with you over the last few weeks. Um, you've got to understand this, this whole building project and, and move has been extremely stressful. Um, but not to a point where it consumed us. You know, to a place of where we just really had to come to a place where we relied on God all the time. And um, when we spoke about this um, in September, we spoke about this in January actually, and we realized that we had basically 10 months or 9 months to get out of this world in January. And uh, yo, um, you want to speak about panic? <laughs> when I saw you guys under the tree, you had the park, you know? Um, and I thought, Lord, is this ever going to happen? <clears throat> and amazingly how God sometimes needs to work with us before He can work in the situation. Yeah. And somewhere along the line, we want God to first fix the situation, and then hopefully we would learn in the process of Him fixing the situation that we're going to learn something from it. But it's not like that. If God normally takes a situation and He looks at it and puts it one side away, let me deal with you right now, because what I've prepared for you as I fix the situation, you're not prepared for. And sometimes we, we're bold and courageous and we're strong and we think we're invincible. But sometimes when the things come, God knows the future. God knows what is coming our way. God knows, you know, what we're going to endure and what we're going to encounter. He knows when the attack of the enemy is going to come. And so to prepare us for what is coming, often is not nice for us. It's not something that we, we H-A-P-P-Y about, you know. Because somehow we feel like God's neglected us, one. We think that God's not hearing us, two. And some people even think that God is punishing them in the process of God making us better than who we are. And so I stood up, yeah, just before the service um, in February. I think it was probably the 19th of February or so. And I still remember thinking in my head, you've got, you got eight months now. Now you've got seven months. Now you've got seven months. Now you've got seven months, and we had zero in the bank account. We really had zero in the bank account, um, coming out of COVID and that. And um, uh, while I was standing in the front doing worship, um, God, God speaks to me. God says to me, I want you to give all your savings to the church this morning. Now, you've got to understand something. I was a month away from my son getting married. All right. And I know that the kids wanted us to go overseas and go to, to, to go visit them in Prague sometime in the year. And I thought, okay. This is a bit epic. But in any case, I look across Chantal and I said, listen, yeah, I feel God says you need to, you know. And Chantal says, no problem, you know, go for it. So we're doing worship, we're going to do my, my, my app here and I transfer all the money that I've saved up to the church's account. And I think, okay, well, you know what, God, this is going to be stress-free. I've got a wedding coming up. Don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes God stirs us like that. Sometimes it's not what we give. Sometimes not how much we give, it's the fact that we're obedient. Yeah. You see, you can ask you to give a chocolate bar away, or you can give you, ask you to give a bar away. Yeah. It's not dependent on what you have to give. It's dependent on how the heart, the positioning of your heart, and, and the posture with which you want to give and approach Him. And uh, I'm going to say this to you, and we, we, we did that. We, we gave the money, and we thought, okay, well, this is going to be a fun event. And um, somewhere in March, I, for some other reason, get a policy payout that I never thought I was going to get. And I'm looking up again, goodness gracious me, this is, this is, this is crazy. You know, this, this money coming in, I'm 
stuff, you know. In any case, you know, God was so good to us. But in case, we managed to sort our things. We, we managed to, my son and myself and the in-laws and everything, we managed to pay for Josh's wedding. No credit, no debts. I mean, no debt. Everything was cash. And I just, after that wedding, stood back and thought, wow, you're really faithful. You know, I, I didn't give even a third of what this wedding cost, and yet you, you blessed me. But the next hurdle came probably three weeks later when the kids said, oh, by the way, Dad was here. Um, this is what's going to happen. We're all going to go to Croatia. <laughs> no, I'm like, you just pay for the wedding. Did you guys what, what was happening here for the wedding? And uh, she told myself, spoke about it, and there was a bit of a panic in the, in the thing. And luckily, my son-in-law got promoted. He's a, he's a partner at Deloitte's now in Europe. So praise God for promotions, you know. <laughs> and, uh, so we get the phone call. We say, this is your dad. You're all coming, Joshua, Chloe, Mom, Dad, all you guys are coming. You've got to just pop up here. All you need is spending money. We've bought all your tickets, we've paid all your accommodation, we've paid for everything. Now my head is going back into you. That bucks are going nuts. You can, you know, what I thought was a big amount, is now starting to look like, yo, I almost gave pennies now compared to, to this. But let's not get into the story, because two weeks before we're going to leave for Croatia, we haven't got a cent in the bank, like a steer there's a place where I don't know if we're going to be able to go to, you know, with the kids' creation. So that's good. We, we've, got to, we, we, we've got to trust God in this thing. Ten days before we leave for Croatia, the tax man pays me out. <laughs> pays me out more than double what I gave to the church originally. It pays for our entire cost, that not one cent of this holiday came out of our pocket, that every single cent from the tickets to the accommodation, to the petrol, to the food, right down to just us spending money. We didn't save one cent. And I'm not telling you this to boast. I'm telling you this because I want to tell you how faithful God is. You know, eight months ago, we had a massive, probably a three million rand building to build. We didn't have that money. We actually had a million. We actually had a million. That's what we had. We borrowed it. Because we didn't have it. And those of us who were yesterday, I mean, it's a miracle how far we got. From the best floors to the best windows and doors to just, God has just been amazing. And it's been such a huge thing in my life. But, but having processed all of this over the time that I was, that we were away on holiday with the kids, God really started to stir some stuff in my heart. And, 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 and I felt, as much as I was excited about Church life, what God had done, and I was on it with my grandkids and my, my kids for the first time in five years. And it was all really great. You know, God takes those moments where I'm, I don't sit still very often. I, I don't like sitting still, unless I'm watching the GP or F1, okay? <laughs> Even cricket is far too long for me. I, 20 hours is far too long. I don't want to stay over there. But, but I, I like that. And then all of a sudden, God puts me for two weeks in a foreign country with limited communication with my kids. That got, there's nothing but just to breathe. And these Europeans, they love it. They look like seals on the beach. They just lay the whole day on the beach like this. And I'm like, I lay for three minutes and I'm up. And I'm like, okay, I'll go for a swim, come back, lay for three minutes, up again, go for a walk. I mean, who lays on the beach for like five, six hours? Madness. But in this process, God is starting to slow me down. And He's starting to slow me down. And slowly but surely, He gets to a place where, you know, He's able to speak to me. 
And, and hear me here. Hear me carefully. Because there are times in our lives that I've learned is that we get so busy with the things of God that we forget about the God of the things. That even being a pastor, I've been honest with you this morning, you know, certain things start to lack. All of a sudden you're running around and you know you've got to get this done and you know you've got to get electrical cables and the roof's not being sorted out and the floor's coming and there's some main trucks are getting stuck in the driveway. Let me tell you something, I don't come home, oh, baby, I can't wait to get into the work now. You know? <laughs> Honestly, that's me. Because I'm exhausted from dealing with all this stuff. But I know that it doesn't help if the physical man keeps running, but the spiritual man is not being fed. And this is the problem we have in church life. It's so often we're not feeding the spiritual man because we're looking into the natural, into the physical the whole time. It's work, it's, it's this, it's kids, it's, it's school, it's, you know, the hundreds of things we need to do. And in this few weeks, God really started to stir in my heart and he, and he just said simply to me, Kurt, if you do not get still with me, if you do not get to a place of, of intimacy with me again, you're not going to be prepared for what I'm about to do in the new. It was quite a wake-up call because, you know, the arrogant me goes, but I, but I am doing, I'm doing everything, God, you, you need me to do. No, 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 you're doing everything you want to do, not what I want you to do. Because this thing is more about prayer than it is about physical labor. This is more about seeing what I'm doing in the spiritual more than what I'm doing in the physical. You know the word of God says in Ephesians, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and forces of the dark world. That, that's our struggle. That's where we are. And as I just started to become still with God and just say, God, you know, what is it you want to speak to me about? What is it you want to say in my life? And what is it that you want to do? There were three or four things that God really spoke to me about. And I'm going to share two of my go-to verses with you. And I'm going to share three or four little things that, uh, that God laid in my heart. But here's my go-to. One of my go-to verses is Proverbs 6, chapter 10. I mean, Proverbs 6, verse 10 to 12. All right. I, I showed you a page. Where's the, where's the Bible, guys? Just pretend. Just go like this. So we get some noise. Yeah. <laughs> just magazine just... Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6. Verse 10 says this. It says, a little, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to sleep, and you shall see poverty come on you like a prowler, and you need like an old man. The one interpretation says that little slumber, little sleep, a little folding of hands, and the enemy will come upon you like a thief. And, and I had to get that verse in my head very quickly. Because it was one of my go-to verses when I was saved, just got saved, and this verse was popped up there. But I had to remind myself, and I need to remind each and every one of you what the word says this morning. The word says very simple. It says a little sleep, a little slumber, a little relaxing, a little taking a break, and the enemy will come in up with you. And you will see poverty come upon you. Now, I don't speak about poverty in the finance, but poverty in every area of your life. And I started to realize, as much as I was busy with stuff, there are many here this morning that you have. You slumbered a little bit. Amen. You've slept a little bit. You've crossed your hands a little bit. You know why? Because it's been winter. 
Winter's terrible. It rained 600 mils this winter. You know that in PE? And we had to build in that process. I mean, at least my sister turned around and said to me, why don't you start building earlier? We would have broken the drought many years ago. <laughs> but the minute we said, let's build the rain, the heavens opened. I mean, our dam, I mean, the municipality is now getting water from our dam on the farm. <laughs> but it's a terrible time because it gets dark early. And we don't want to attend church meetings in the dark. You know, we want to be in bed by half past five, you know, switch on the Netflix, you know, watch a series, watch DSTV, it's dark outside, it's dark in the mornings. We don't want to get up at five o'clock to go to a prayer meeting. I mean, who does that in the dark? Most of us felt sick during the winter. Some of us got colds and flus. We know what it's like. And it's a reality because we're human beings. But it's times like that where we allow, we've got to allow the spirit man to rise above the flesh. And I'm preaching to myself this morning because I became slack in winter. Yo, this winter was terrible. I mean, I just wanted to hibernate. I wanted to be like a bear, just climb into a hole somewhere and, you know, just sleep and wake me up in three months' time, you know, when spring's happening. But I started to realize that we cannot, our spirit lives cannot be changed by the circumstances around us. You know, we can't be more spiritual in summer because it's hot. You know, and less spiritual in winter because it's really cold and miserable. We can't just all of a sudden let everything fall to pieces because now it's August. But oh, thank God, summer's coming. You know what I'm saying? I'm using that as an analogy. Because our lives are like that. Our lives seem to do this. And even our spiritual lives seem to do this all the time. The problem is, I don't mind you doing this as long as you're doing this and not doing this. And we find that most of us in the season, and even myself, got so busy and, and enjoyed the darkness and come back from the farm exhausted at night and have an early shower and just sit in bed and go, come on, you know, we're just going to breathe a little bit yeah. But I promise you, when you sit in that bed, that devil grabs that Netflix. He puts on that series, and before you know it, you haven't had a quiet time. Before you know it, you haven't spent time in his presence. Before you know it, you haven't picked up your Bible. Before you know it, you haven't attended meetings. You've missed church for a couple of weeks. You know, it happens. That's how quickly it happens. And so in the season, I had to grab a hold of that and realize that there are many challenges. There are many challenges going to face me, but there are things that in my life, even if it's summer, winter, spring, or autumn, there's few things that I had to work out quickly with God. And one, it was a personal work with me. I personally, listen to me, I personally, not Master Stewart, not Dad, not Grandpa, not Husband, Kurt Sutton, had to get that desire back to spend as much time with God as possible. And when I speak about, I'm not speaking about neglecting the Word of God, I'm speaking about refocusing. Refocus on what it is that God has for me, the purpose and the plan He has for me. What does the future look like for Kurt Sutton? What does the future look like for Chantal Sutton? What does the future look like as a couple, or as a family? What does that look like? I mean, we're just going to live from day to day, or we're just going to, you know, just clock in the clock. I remember my dad used to work in Mangles, and I used to go with him to work, and he would have this little, I don't know if they still do those little cards, then he walked this machine, he'd go, you know, and then he walked out, he'd go, you are clicking in the game, and you're not even paying for it, you're clicking in the game, you know? And at times, I feel as Christians, that's where we are. Like, we just click in and click out, and we're like, well, God, you've got to reward us for, you know, two hours spent at a prayer meeting, one hour spent at a Bible study kind of thing. And I was at church for half an hour this morning. 
There's a future for you. God has a purpose and a plan. God has a calling upon your life. God has something he wants to do in and through you. You cannot tell me that you were just put on this earth just for the sake of being on the earth. Yeah, because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. There's got to be a reason why he placed you. There's a reason why you've journeyed what you've journeyed. There's a reason why you've had your ups and your reason why you've had your downs. There's a reason why you've nearly quit so many times, but you come back every single time. There's a reason for it. And if we are just going to live from day to day, if we are just going to live to survive every day, we're never going to understand what God's purpose is for us in the future. Because this is where you and I should be. We should be searching for what it is that God desires of us. Not what man says the future looks like. Not what the pastor said the future looks like. But what do you believe God is saying to you? You know, what does the future look like, Graham? What does it look like, Voted? Where are we going to be in three months' time, Louis, or, or five months' time? Where are we going to be? What, what is it? Because I need to walk towards it. Because if I'm not moving towards something, I'm moving towards nothing. The word actually says that the body will perish without vision. That if you and I do not have vision, and it's great, we can move into Thesca and we can do the exact same thing we're doing here and it could fall to pieces because we never see God's purpose and plan for us for that side. And you've got to understand something, that there's no purpose and plan for that side because the purpose and the plan that God has for that side is not in the building. The purpose and the plan that God has for that side is birthed in each and every one of you. You carry the promise of God. You carry the calling of God. You carry the anointing of God. The word of God says that you will have hands on sick and they will be well. You'll drink deadly poison and it will not affect you. You'll pick up serpents. You're the ones that carry the presence of God. You're the carriers of God's presence. That wherever you go, the presence of God goes with you. Wherever you walk in, the presence of God walks in with you. Whenever you walk out, the presence of God walks out with you. Be it business, be it work, be it family, whatever it might be. I don't want to mosey along. I'm getting on years now. They're getting shorter and shorter and shorter now. My life expectancy. And I don't want to, I don't want to just like die. Oh, don't worry, you'll be fine, baby. <laughs> Got that 600 rand pension you can get every month. Because so often it's easy to, to slipstream <coughs> or to tuck into the vision of a church. And, I, and we're safe at the back because you don't get the turbulence. But the problem is, is that, that God hasn't called us to tuck in behind a church hey, and, and lead the people. Have you ever checked these big Egyptians? Hey, whenever they move these massive, massive blocks of, of, of stone, what do they do? Not once did they push. Every single time they pull. And I love that analogy. You see, because we always want to be behind the vision of the church and, and just pushing and going along where the church is going. Because God says, no, 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 I don't need to push, I need you to pull. You need to be in the front of the road. You need to be guiding the church to where it needs to go. You need to be taking the church to places it's never been before. In houses it's never been before. In suburbs it's never been before. In schools it's never been before. You've got to become one that pulls and not tucks in and just wants a little free light or glide behind what is happening. And so be careful of a little slumber, be careful of a little sleep, be careful of a little folding of hands. For the word of God says the enemy will come in and rob you of your blessing. Jeremiah 12, and this is something I had to learn very quickly in the last 12 years that I was in this, well, the last 10 years that we were in this building. And uh, Jeremiah 12 was the very first sermon I ever preached in my life. I was about 20 odd years old. And I preached a sermon <coughs> to Assemblies of God Church in, uh, in Central. And uh, it's always stuck with me. 
but the last few weeks, God is reminding me of the scripture. I'm going to read to you now. now. Um, and what it is that God is saying to us. But, but I, I want you to, to hear what I'm saying to you this morning. Please, church, listen carefully. This is not about a church move. This is about us. This is about you individually. God needs to speak and God wants to do stuff in your life. So turn to Jeremiah 12, and I'm going to be reading from verse 5. Um, and, and you've got to understand something. There's, there's something that, that I, God needed me to sort out um, in my personal life. Um, and it, it might be very much for you as well. But when I speak about my personal life, I speak my personal emotions regarding church life. We moved in our next, next on the 15th of this month, will be exactly 10 years that we moved into this building to the day. When we pack up here on Friday the 15th, it will be exactly 10 years that we walk through those doors. And exactly to the day, 10 years later, we'll be walking out of those doors. But in the 10 years, it's been the most difficult 10 years of my life in ministry. It's been the hardest 10 years of my life in ministry. 90% of the people that came over from the Italian club to this building are going over this. You realize there's a whole new congregation sitting here. And that's hard for a pastor to lose an entire congregation that believes he was going to conquer the world with. People that have been with us 15, 16, 17, 18 years, just packed up and walked out. No excuse, no nothing. Just cheers, I'm gone. That was tough. Was tough having this building and then all of a sudden dealing with the, the aspects of the, you know, the claims and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, with something we had that was in our name was taken away that we had to give away again. And in the giving away, we spent probably one and a half million just on legal costs, just to be in this building from another organization that wanted to take us out. That leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. Because everything you saved up for come all of a sudden is robbed. And that's nothing. And then you start to get back in your feet. And then COVID hit us. And took the rest of the money we had. And then we were really broke. And our congregation changed, and we still have people today that haven't come back from COVID. They still know many but they never come back from COVID. I had to fire two pastors in the last 10 years. You know what that is? It's not about firing pastors, they've got, they've got families. It's hard. The hardest 10 years of my life. And, and whether you like it or not, everyone you can relate, there gets a little bit of bitterness in your heart. Do you know? Especially when you feel like, God, come on, I'm doing this for you. Like, no, because we're doing him a favor, I get that out of my head quickly. Very quickly. Because this is not about me doing this for him. He says, I will build my church with God's will, and God's will not be about If we listen carefully and let him build, I wouldn't be in this situation. Yeah. If I listen clearly, I would not be feeling the animosity and all that kind of stuff that is in me. But I also understood something, that I could not leave this building with this kind of anger in my heart. Yeah. You've got to understand something, church. And William said it to me this morning and confirmed it again. You know, forgiveness is the foundation of our Christian faith. Yeah. Forgiveness is the thing that will hold you back. You know, we've got this stupid saying that says, I, 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 I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. That's like the worst statement ever. But that's ambiguous. Right? And yet we do this. And yet we hold grudges against our partners, we hold grudges against our kids or our loved ones or other pastors or people that have hurt us. Every one of you in this room have been hurt by someone. Every one of you have been misled by someone. 
You've had people steal from you. You've had people take things from you. You've had people break things from you. You've had to deal with affairs. You've had to deal with bankruptcy. You've had to deal with so much. But yet, you're still sitting here. Why? I said yesterday at a wedding that I did, and I said most married couples miss the most quintessential part of a marriage, and it's this. You know, we speak about, oh, I really love her, she's so cute, I want to spend the rest of my life with her, you know, when we get married, we always got this stuff that we're just going to give up on life, which we cheese enough, you know, <laughs> you know, we just going to have butterflies and rainbows the rest of our lives, you know, guys will take care of our bank accounts, no problem, we'll probably get a house given to us, you know, most people think that's how pastors live, we'll just give them a car, you know, whatever you want. <coughs> And we don't understand it's not like that. We don't understand it's not like that. Life's not like that. If life was like that, we'd all be H-A-P-P-Y. But I'll tell you one thing that I believe, that God will never put you in a situation if he knows you want to get through that situation. And if you're not through your situation yet, then you fan bell get busy. Because you need to get through it. The problem is that's what forgiveness does. I said this before, remember, remember that, oh, I'm going to give away our age. William, you remember. There was a program on TV called Sacred Cuspinatus. Put up your hand if you remember Sacred Cuspinatus. Ah, well, you guys are legends. But Sacred Cuspinatus had this, this one thing that I always wanted to play with, I was too fearful. But they had this big mat, remember, full of water and soap. And they had tied this guy to electric, what was electric to an elastic? <laughs> Wasn't that bad? It was elastic rope that was on him. And he had to go fetch something on that side, but the rope only got through here. The rest of it had to be effort. And the problem is, if you didn't get it right over here, that thing would pelt you all the way back. And you'd have to go back and start the elastic rope all over again. And I always started, got this in my head from a young age, this. You know, to here is great. But from here to there, that's where the effort's going to take. This is where we're really going to work hard. This is where we're really going to be in that last few yards. And for many of you, I need to say this to you this morning, that you're in your last few yards. Amen. You're in your last few yards. I'm not mean you're going to die. <laughs> in your situation. It's important that you understand this. You know, the scripture that I love, and this is the first one I preach, and I'm going to read it to you. But he but says this in verse 5. It says, if you run with footmen, and they've worn you out, then how can you contend with horses? And if you're in the land of peace, in which you trusted, and they weared you down, then how will you do in the floodplains of the Jordan? That the word of God says that if men have worn you out, how are you going to compete with horses? How are you going to compete with things that are so much stronger than us? And this is mob up with a friend of mine, I remember I was going to, I just moved in here, and we were going through some stuff, you know, and he gave me this book, I'll never get it, it's on my shelf, so it says, The Leading Horses. And the scripture is Jeremiah 12, 5. And I want to say this to you, the world's going to come at you. Life is going to come at you. At times we feel like government's coming at you. At times it feels like your loved ones, the ones that are closest to you are coming at you. And not loving you the way you should, not doing the things that you should. 
But you and I need to get past this phase that we're dealing with human emotions. What you and I are dealing with is so much bigger than a human emotion. Forgiveness, listen to me, forgiveness is the biggest thing on earth and is yet the stupidest thing on earth and yet it is the easiest thing on earth and yet it is the most difficult thing to do. Can I explain that only one sentence? <laughs> because this is how I feel. It's not what comes out of our mouth. It's what remains in our heart after we've said it. Because yeah. sometimes it's just the little root that is left of animosity and anger and bitterness here, you know? And you think you've let it go out, but you know what? You know, you know, the next time you see that person, and you want to manifest, you throw them over the balcony, or sit them in place. That's when you really know that you've not forgiven. That's when you know that forgiveness is so real in your heart. And I'll be open and frank with you, but I, I doubt with this. I thought that I was absolutely, I'd forgiven everyone, I was in a great place. I tell you something, I'm in a good spirit, God is good to me. You know, I'm spiritually in a great place. And you click on the Facebook and the face pops up and just you also not. <laughs> you need to deal with this situation now. You see, the problem is with me, as men, most of the time men, we believe that there needs to be some form of repayment or revenge. Uh, woman as well. I'm glad to hear that. No, that. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. But there needs to be some kind of retribution. You know, when we grew up, you stepped around, the old man stepped in, he sorted you out. There was a consequence. There was always a consequence in the house. And there's always got to be a consequence in the house of God. But the word of God says, He's my child, not yours. You can be angry with whoever you want to. They still belong to him. Yes. And not to you. Yes. You know the saddest thing about forgiveness is this? I've said this before. That 90% of the time people we're angry with don't even know that we're angry with them. We want to bring up stuff that happened when we were eight. I can't even remember what I had for breakfast last week. <laughs> but we need that person's clarity to be crystal clear in the moment that hurt us. The problem is this, that we pick up an offense before we pick up an understanding. Yeah, we'll see. And it's easy to get offended and we spend less time understanding why it happened. Yeah. Why did they do what they did? Why did they say what they did? How did this come to this place in our lives where this anger and bitterness and resentment is burning in my heart? I had to very quickly learn over the last while <coughs> that is this. Four things that I learned very quickly. One, that God is good all the time. Even in my baddest hours, God is still good to me. The fact that I wake up and I breathe. You see, I've learned something in the last two weeks that God needed me to learn. And it was probably the most exciting, the most exhilarating, the most fun, but the biggest learning curve of my life over, over the last three weeks. Even just being stuck and not being able to come back and being stuck in airports and all kinds of stuff. It was all a, a major learning curve. So I found myself at left Prague with Josh and Chloe and, and Ella, and we were about to take a train, to hear this, we'd take a train from Prague and it would go through the Alps, and it would go through Switzerland, 
every, every Germany, every side South Africa, we've been wanting to do this train trip for years. And eventually Jesse had it organized for us. And in any case, Don jumped into the train. Man, we've got a lack of cabin for us, the six-seater cabin, just for the four of us, got everything on it, like air-conditioned, like amazing. And the our journey started. We were we excited, man. We like, we're going for it now. We, we're loving this countryside, you know. And Josh and myself start getting confused because it constantly feel like we, we're going this way, but then we're going that way. And then we're going this way, and then we're going that way. And I, I keep saying, Josh, I'm sure we're going the wrong direction, you know. Like, but this is crazy. Little did we realize that the train we were on was broken. So it couldn't do the trip that it wanted to do with us through the Swiss Alps or whatever. So we pull up at this train station, and this old man appears from nowhere. My age. And <laughs> <laughs> it's not saying that old man. And just appears out of nowhere. And he just says, follow me. Now you're we are lost. We're in the middle of the Czech Republic. In this little village. I don't think it's more than 500 people over there. And this guy puts us, and he takes us over to a bus. He comes into the bus. He's always says, this is an unusual line. What do you mean unusual line? They took us in the bus two hours back towards Margaret. They didn't know us the train was broken. Nobody seen the with us. Now we're four hours into the job, we should have been in Germany already. But now we find out that it's 120k back from Prague. That's where we are. And this bus stops. Have you guys seen the movie Wrong Turn? <laughs> Don't watch it. <laughs> this bus drops us to this little village. That's about the sound of Fisco. Our, our church property, that's how small it is. And they've got this is train station with one line running through it. They've got one burger place right opposite us, and the auntie behind the counter is angry. <laughs> She's like, communist angry. <laughs> Are you from the West? We hate you. She's kind of angry, you know? I mean, she just like, She's like 21 years old, she looked like 85. <laughs> she was wild with anger. We're like, I you know? Um, and we sat there for two hours in the station. Going nowhere. But the funniest part of it, I should tell myself, I was sitting on the bus, and I'm telling her, she's this is a book. You're sitting on the bus Sunday. So I'm not going to have a problem with the crossover. The crossover, I sit in my place, crossover, so that she does the whole thing, boy, because when we got that sermon out, <laughs> that the poor boy in the fair. I'm thinking about crossover, 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 crossover. <laughs> it was madness. But in the process, I can learn some few things. One, that the whole journey wasn't about me. Yeah. It was about my son. He's 27. Daddy still thinks he's 14. Yeah. Daddy still treats him like a 14-year-old. You know, Josh, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. And yes, I know your father, but it doesn't matter, you've got to do this. And just say, you going to fix this, and actually you've got to do this. And in this process, Josh has, Josh has got a little bit of a temper like me. So, so God had to work on both of us, you know. Um, but in the process, I just constantly say to him, we're not going to become frustrated in this. We're not going to become frustrated in this. This is not anger, this is frustration. Not realizing that in that moment, Josh would have flung the book off some of it. But all of a sudden, I saw my son, not as my son, 
but it's for, as it is for. So what I was trying to do for him, he had his own trough. He had his own wife and his own kid. And as much as I was trying to sort out everybody, he was, hey, I'm good. I'll take care of my trough. I'll take care of, of where I am. And, and I just watched the whole process unfold in front of us. And, and I said to you, and, and, and we just looked at this, everything was going wrong in, around us and sometimes we missed what was going right, you know. But even Jess and I said last week, we watched our kids excel, the grandkids just excel. And Jessica turned around and said, Dad, you're so right, it takes a village to bring up a child, you know. That they just excelled in where we were. And as we came off this trip, we hit Joburg Airport, and you're going to know where we were in Munich, I didn't even know where we were. We yeah. took like 18 planes. Yeah. Uh, I think we were in Switzerland. Zurich. Yeah. Zurich, we are there. And uh, we missed all our planes, because they, they were like from the storm or something. And we landed in Joburg Airport, all our suitcases were gone. Not one suitcase or seven. Not one. Catherine's office always says, we always lose our suitcase when we come back. And they missed our flight. And I said to you, we were 15 minutes away from our flight to South Africa. And I said to Josh, boy, you go. See if you can hold up the plane. We're going to try and get our bags. And he goes, Josh, you got there. And the guy just said, no, sorry. You're You're eight minutes late. You can't get on the plane. Josh is like, what? The plane haven't taken off yet. They haven't loaded the plane yet. People still at the gate. They wouldn't let us through. It's fine. But in that moment, Joshua was able to sort out all kinds of stuff. And in that moment, he booked new tickets for us. He paid for the tickets to get us back to PE. He processed the whole thing. And, and I got on the plane. I said, Chantal, there comes a season where we've got to understand it's time to let go of our sons. You see, as long as our sons, the devil's laughing, he's like, yeah, preach, good, preach. <laughs> but sometimes we need to allow our sons to be who they are. And I'm speaking spiritually now. <laughs> because so often, we want to modicolly everyone around us. Sometimes we need to let our sons bump their toes. Sometimes they need to bleed a little bit. Sometimes they need to make mistakes. Most of the time they don't need our advice, but we like to give it to them. They never listen to it, but we give it to them. And sometimes it's time that we don't give advice anymore. You see, there's one thing that I realized this, that a son will stay a son as long as the father treats him like a son. But a son, I said to you all these words, there's one thing that happened with the week that I was with Josh, is my son became a man. And there's a big difference. And same with the kingdom of God. We've got many sons that serve around you, but I also know that the season comes where they need to become fathers and men of their own, where they go to the next season and take what God is going to do in their lives and take it forward to where God is in their lives. And so I've had to learn that very important lesson in my life, that there are times that people aren't leaving you because they dislike you, they're leaving you because they're starting a new journey on now. And I'm not speaking just about church, I'm speaking about emotionally. I'm speaking about your friendship circle, those around you. I'm speaking about a work situation. You see, sometimes we hang on to something so tight that we don't have a chance to breathe. And I really believe the season you're in right now, the season we're in right now, is that God wants to do something unbelievable in your life. But you've got to let go. You've got to let go. 
You see, this is a problem with us. Is that we want to take a pick up the map and then we want to show God how we need to get here from here to here. Okay? The Israelites had the same idea. 13 day walk. Consistently every night. Here. Look at Calvary Journey. Look. 40 years later, but then that was actually. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend 40 years in bed. I've really spent the last 10 years in, in, in carrying things that I shouldn't be carrying. Being bitter about things I shouldn't be bitter with. Being angry with people I shouldn't be angry with. You know, really walking without forgiveness in my heart. And I don't know about you, but you know what? I've learned to forgive. And I can honestly say that over the last few weeks. I've learned to forgive. My son turned around to me, even my daughter sitting at the table having supper one night. And, they, and, they, and I think I did mention it to you where they said to me, so what would you have done differently? And he turns around and says, because I'm so lenient with my grandkids, they can get away with murder and it's okay with me. And he says, Dad, you need to be strict. You know, you need to discipline those Dad, you know, they're getting out of control now. And I said to Josh, you know something, if there's one thing I could have done differently with your kids, is I wish I could relax a little bit more and enjoy your kids, instead of trying to make you what you're not. Or that you become who you're not. You know, we want our kids to be doctors and lawyers and, you know, all these kinds of things. And we never for a minute stop and go, so what do you want to be? And the same in church life, we've got this, this thing that everyone needs to be a certain way and everyone needs to be a prophet and everyone needs to be this. And, and sometimes you just need to be a worker. So you just, sometimes you just need to be someone that's committed. You know, sometimes you just need to be someone that shows up when someone needs you to show up. Someone to be there when you need them to be there. Sometimes not about the big names and the titles and, and all these crazy stuff. Sometimes just living in the moment, enjoying the moment. Yeah. Because we spend so much time living in the future that we miss the present. We live so much in what if, and that's where I want to be, that we miss the moment we're in right now. I will never in my life, probably again, dive with my granddaughter in Croatia in the sea that's turquoise. Yeah. Probably never again. But I could have been so frantic in that moment that I couldn't have enjoyed it. Yeah. It's time for you to enjoy life. It's time for you to enjoy the blessings that God has for each and every one of you. It's time to step into the purpose and the plan that God has for you. Amen. It's time to learn to forgive. It's time to forgive. And you know what the worst part about this is? And I'm going to close with this now. Because I've got another job after this. <laughs> I want to close with this. And the biggest thing that you need to deal with going forward is forgiveness. But not of people. Forgiveness of yourself. You cannot forgive if you don't understand what forgiveness feels like. You carry far too much resentment, anger, bitterness towards yourself. You feel that you failed. You feel that you messed up. You feel that things happened because of you. And maybe they did. Maybe you did mess up. Maybe you just had the wrong thing. Maybe you did do the wrong thing. The fact is this, that it's over and dealt with. Remember what I always say to you, we never going to have a future if we live in the past. We cannot live. I've made horrible mistakes in my life. Horrible mistakes. I should definitely, definitely not be preaching today. I should definitely not be on stage. 
I should not even be in the church. I should burst into flames the minute I walk into a church. You laugh, most of you are the same, eh? you guys check when you walk in. But I had to learn to sort out this. I had to learn to forgive, yeah, we are messed up. Or we are thought I messed up. And you know the tough thing is that sometimes I think I messed up, and in four years later, it seems like a really good idea that I did what I did. Yeah. But at the time, I didn't feel like the right thing. Yeah. If you want to move, and you want to be a man, and a woman that's prepared to run the horses, yeah. and not let man get you down, let not this side get you down, sort yourself out. Mm. You haven't failed anybody. And you certainly haven't failed God. You know why I know that? Because however you messed up, he says he's going to work it out for the good. Yes. So however you messed up, at the end of the day, it still comes as a win. Whether you like it or not, you still get the trophy. Don't do that. Learn that family is everything. Learn and understand whether you're a son or father in this house. Come to the place of realizing that life is not going to be easy, but it's going to be okay. You will survive. You will make it. You will be successful. Whatever way you desire you want to be. But understand one thing: that if it doesn't start here, none of this matters. Because at the end of the day, the word of God says all of this will fall away. All of us are full way. Not, I'm not going to get up and go, well, Lord, I had so many members, and so and so hurt me, Lord, and this one was horrible to me, and I did build your church in America, and I did give my tithes and my money. None of that matters. What is that, Peter? That works with you, Peter. 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 Hello. I think that's all he's worried about. I think that's all he's worried about. Mark, do you love me? Yes, I see how much work you do. Yes, I see how much work you guys do here on the farm and in family and work. And I see, yes, I see how much you give financially. Yes. All you want to know is this. Do you love me? Don't speak much. You see, that's what it's about. That's all he wants to know from you right now. Do you love me the way you should? Can we stay?